Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Shut up and sit down. All right, everybody, we've got a great episode for you today. Today we're talking with Dan Infault, the hunting beast, and we're kind of going about it a little bit different. Uh, we're going to shy away a little bit from the bed hunting, how do you locate a bed, and just kind of go into the deer hunting, the woodsmanship part of it, about how to read a property when you step on a property, what you're looking for in terms of sign, and then naturally that all goes back into bedding so how far is it from bedding and things like that and to get dan's take on that as well as um you know they're coming to michigan for the public land challenge with tethered as well as the hunting public and with us being in michigan you know we're really excited to see that see these guys step onto michigan soil and uh, kind of do their own thing and you know see how it kind of stacks up against you know, the way that we break down properties, the way that we look at things and, and to see if Michigan really is as bad as everybody says that it is. Um, but before we get to that episode, I just want to give a, a shout out to our newest Patreon member, Alex Blue from Kansas. So we got Kansas, Wisconsin, Louisiana, and a bunch of people in Michigan. And um, I don't know if he signed up, you know, to try and win that tree stand and binocular package. We're going to be giving that out September 25th. So the episode that comes out the last episode in September, we're going to be uh, announcing the winner for that. And that's giving back to our Patreons. So um, you can go and look on our, our Patreon account to see kind of uh, what's going on there. But, um, you know, we're giving away one of the new XOP tree stands, Evolution, a pair of Vanguard binoculars, a binocular harness, and some of the Versa strap minis from Tethered, um, as well as some swag from uh, Bullhorn Chronicles as well and anything else we want to throw in there. But, um, you know, right now we've got just a few Patreon members, you know, people that have supported the show. And when we started that Patreon, it's kind of a weird thing where, you know, you're asking somebody to, you know, kind of support what you're doing and, you know, what to help us out with, you know, hosting fees and, you know, gear and, you know, whatever, things that we can talk about on the podcast. And uh, we really do appreciate it. And when we set out to do that, we're going to, make it a point to give back to those people. Um, and so we're going to be doing uh, quarterly giveaways, and this is just kind of to kick that off. So the next one will be right around the first of the year. And uh, going forward, it'll just kind of, you know, be four big giveaways, you know, to, to thank those people that are supporting us. And uh, so you can go check that out. If not, no problem. If you're listening for the first time, you know, go on and give us some feedback on whatever platform it is, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. And then check out our social media, follow along with us, 
on Instagram, Facebook, and um, any of that sort of stuff. And tell a friend, you know, if you like what you're hearing, you know, tell somebody else because that really helps us get out there and get in front of new people. And, um, yeah, so once again, we appreciate every single one of the listeners, and we're looking forward to hearing the feedback on this episode. And, uh, you know, thanks again to Dan for coming on and and talking to us uh, Michigan guys. So we really appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy that episode. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today we are joined by a special guest, the big buck serial killer Dan Infault, to talk a little bit about woodsmanship, um, you know, kind of finding deer sign, kind of reading sign, and, and things like that. So um, how are you doing tonight, Dan? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, your season is starting here in the end of this week, right? So this is kind of... Yeah. You know, crunch time for for most people. Um, are you kind of more relaxed going into it just because you've got everything picked out? Or are you like the rest of us, like it's you know the couple of days working up to Christmas? Well, it's always exciting going into hunting season. Um, I you know I've got uh, high hopes for certain things, but uh, I got realistic goals too. Yeah, I think that's where we try to try to be a little bit grounded. You know our you know, with, with our style of hunting, the properties that we hunt, the the deer that we are, are accustomed to seeing, I think we have realistic expectations. Um, and one of those things I think is for us being in Michigan and public land and all the pressure and, you know, all the stigma that goes along with that. And, um, you know, for the past couple of years following along, you know, finding the hunting beasts, finding kind of like, uh, the people that are on the forum, the people that you recommend talking to, we talked to uh, Jason Campbell and Leon. Um, those guys came on, and you know those are guys that are in Michigan continually, you know, getting it done, big deer, you know. So it's it's kind of re-energized the the public land for for us. I think. I mean, it's always been a, a I guess for me growing up, it's always been a less than thing. So public land is you know, for the guys that don't have the farm, that don't have the food plots, that don't have that. So um, to get that sort of uh, insight, motivation, um, you know, role model, you know, however you want to say it. Um, but we wanted to talk to you about the the woodsmanship side of it. So now Michigan has a baiting ban, and there's a lot of guys that are, you know, beside themselves you know they're they're ready to give up hunting what are we going to do yeah matter of fact i was just up at the local pro shop this last weekend and i was talking to mitch and he's like he's had tons of guys coming in you know upset i'm gonna quit hunting i don't know what to do now i can't bait it's like uh you gotta you gotta hunt i mean that's what it, it's not baiting to me wasn't i've never really baited I hunted over bait a couple of times when I was younger with my, my buddy Jason. And I was like, uh, that's not for me, but going out and getting, you know, learning the woods and deer patterns, you know, shit like that, you know, that's, that's hunting to me, but. Yeah. And so like for yourself, what does woodsmanship mean to you? And for the, for the guys who may not even know what that term is. Well, it's, you know, it's going on understanding the terrain, understanding the animals you're uh, hunting, um, 
knowing where they're going to be at what times of day and um, being able to make a game plan based on that. Um, that's woodsmanship to me um, when you're talking about deer hunting. Um, I think, too, uh, when you're talking about the baiting and stuff, it's uh, so much more rewarding when you read the woods, you understand it, and you set up in a spot believing in what you're doing, and it works, you know, than, than to, to trick them or have some trap or something like that to actually outsmart them in their own uh, living room. That's, you know, that's really more of a thrill. And so for guys that don't have any idea of where to start, um, I, I kind of want to frame it, you know, last year watching you, you and Joe at the the public land challenge, I was just, you know, I, I had so many questions about, you know, how did you find that spot? How did you, um, break it down and how did you hunt that? So for a hunt like that, or like this year coming into Michigan or for anybody stepping out of their comfort zone, um, how do you approach that sort of, a sort of a hunt? You know, I know, um, it seems like for, from listening to everything that you do and, and following the videos and everything that's on the beast and the way that you break down everything, um, these are properties that you kind of know intimately, you know, so you, you know where the, you know, from scouting and from boots on the ground and years of figuring it out, um, what's going on. But when you're stepping onto a property for the first time, how do you, where do you start and kind of how do you break down each one? each property as you, as you step onto it? Well, you know, uh, half, of, half of the hunting I do is, is, is new properties and half of it's stuff I've already done. Um, so I go into new properties a lot. Um, you know, where I'm hunting, uh, around home is probably like a lot of what you guys got in Michigan. You know, it's, uh, where I'm at in Wisconsin isn't the, the primary, the primary is more Western and Southwestern. I'm in Southeastern. I'm right in the middle of the, big populations of Milwaukee and Madison. But what we got around here is we have uh, intermittent swamps and, and dry land and farms. And it seems to me in this heavy pressure, and I'm sure Michigan is the same way. It's like that when I go to the heavy pressure areas of Minnesota or wherever. Uh, those big bucks learn to gravitate towards water. So the first thing I'm looking for in this high population area is, is swamps and, and waterways um, where deer can isolate themselves from people with water and, uh, you know, thick areas and swamps. And then you got to still find the overlooked stuff because there's some people that go in the water, but there's some little places off to the side, usually where people just don't go much, you know? Um, and then, uh, because there's so much pressure around here, um, any given property around here might or might not have a good buck on it on a given year. So I'm not going to waste my time hunting a property that doesn't have a big buck. And I think that's a mistake a lot of guys make is they'll go to the same property year after year, especially if they've gotten a buck or two there. And they'll just keep hitting that spot where my mindset is to go find them. So I'll uh, skip around a lot of properties until I hit sign. There's just big buck around, you know, like high rubs, um, big tracks. I see a buck, I get a trail cam pick or something, but I'm constantly moving until I find a target animal. And then I will start uh, narrowing down the search on that property. Um, and I'll look for, you know, 
once I know there's a buck on a particular property or in a particular area, then I will uh, try to determine where he's bedding, uh, where he's feeding. Um, and I will skip around from, you know, bedding area to bedding area and hunt on the outskirts of it and literally, uh, like, grid that property and hunt each section where I think he could be until I run out of property. And then, and then I have to determine if I miss something or if he's actually bedding on property I can't hunt and coming up to the property. And maybe move on to a different buck, maybe search a little harder. Um, but that's the mindset I take is I, I go and find bucks and hunt them down. If I stayed on the same property, like most guys, I, I would never, uh, have the success that I've been having. So one of the things that I think, you know, I've, I've heard talked about and it's something that I still struggle with and it's, it's a trap that many guys fall into is reading, you know, what makes that hot sign hot you know i've heard i've heard it it said that you know dan says you got to hunt sign when hot sign's hot well (laughs) everybody sees that rub that uh, that's on the way in or that scrape and and things like that and and it might be fresh but there's you know two ladder stands and you know flagging tape Mm -hmm. and everything all the way around it and so are you right, signing created equally? I mean, you, you got guys that are, uh, you, you know, every time you find a, a giant waist size rub on uh, public property around here, there's three tree stands surrounding it. But that doesn't mean that there's a deer going to come in there and, and you're going to shoot it. If people just set up over the top a big sign, um, they're just going to be hunting like everybody else because that's what everybody does. And you can have results like everybody else. So, really, what you have to do is be able to read that sign. And you have to be able to use common sense instead of the uh, excitement of seeing this giant sign and say, is this being made at night or is it being made during the day? And the location of that sign is what's going to tell you that. I mean, if you're in the open, open hardwoods, it's obviously a deer's not walking through the, at least a respectable buck isn't walking through the middle of an open hardwoods in broad daylight. They're, they're just, you know, they're going to be on the edge of the thick, the edge of their bedding area when they come out in daylight. And by the time they get to that woods, it's nighttime. By the time they get to the edge of food, it's nighttime. You know, unless you catch them, you know, right at the first days of season or maybe that one or two days that they really freak out during the rut, you got to really push those limits. So finding that sign in the middle of the woods or something is helpful. But that's telling you the buck's there. You still got to be able to read where that sign's, you know, what time of day that buck is using that sign, you know, in order to hunt it. And so one thing you said right there was the first couple of days of the season or when the rut is peaking, how are you differentiating, differentiating sign at different types of the year? Because early season is relative. Your season starts, you know, what, September 15th or so? Yeah, it's a whole different ball game from yours, yeah. Yeah, and ours, you know, you'll be here. I mean, you guys have really set yourself up for a real – adventure because you're coming here the opener of of bow season here in in michigan so you're right. you're going to run into everybody that has the it's, day well, off that's right when we start seeing the lull it's, it's when the, the lowest period of the season is for seeing deer activity is right when we're going to come over there and hunt um but you still have the excitement of nobody's really been pounding in the woods yet so right. 
But it literally in Wisconsin here, I've shot my three biggest bucks before your season even opens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in and, September, you know, yeah. and, and that's kind of one of the things that I've like set a goal for this year for myself, and that's that realistic expectation is I just want to shoot a deer um, in the first week of the season because that's always a time that I've taken it pretty easy because it's hot out. It, all of the the stereotypical things that you know you you guys talk about that you know that why people don't hunt or take advantage of the early portions of the season is the reason that I've never taken it all that seriously because mm-hmm. it's it, that's not when the deer are moving. I would say I would classify myself as a deer hunter in the sense of I hunt during I take my time off during the rut. I set up on funnels and places where the deer are going to be where I know that there's deer and I I've had success in the past doing that and that's just been hunting for me, but it hasn't been hunting. It's been hoping it's been, you know, trying to get lucky instead of targeting yep. animals and, and things like that. And so these past couple of years, it's kind of changed my, my thought process in, in the way that I'm approaching the season. But back to the question is, you know, what is the differences in sign at the different times of, of year and how are you reading, reading that? And is there, like different subtleties to what's going on, or is it j- you're just looking for a sign that that buck is there, whatever time of the year, as long as it's fresh and it's it's there, that's where you want to be. Well, big sign tells me I'm on the right property, or I mean, at least in the right area. There's a big buck around. You know, then then you know it doesn't matter what time of season that is. Um, then finding that sign, you know coming out of a, uh, a swamp or something, you know, you know, he's not coming out of that swamp for any other reason than, than he lives in there. Probably. Um, I mean, it's possibly travels through the swamp quite a ways, but there's a good chance he's betting on the, the, the edge of that. So I'll hop around on a new property and I'll hunt those trails coming out of them swamps and stuff. So if I, I like find big sign on a uh, property, I'm going to start following the transition lines of swamps around. I'm going to start looking at islands and stuff. And when I find sign in those spots where it's on the edge of thickness, and for me, that's where you start getting that woodsmanship eye where you can start tell, you know, what's bedding and what's not based on what you've seen over the years. And, you know, it's hard to describe over a phone or something, but it's, you know, certain shapes in the terrain, like points going up to the swamp and tapering down ends of uh, islands and stuff is where, you know, the beds always show up over and over and over again and where the bucks always show up. So after a while, you get an eye for that. So now when I see sign coming out of something like that, uh, I'm setting up where I think I'm probably within about 100 yards, usually 75 of that bed. So I'm sneaking in there with mobile equipment really quietly and setting up. And uh, I have a lot of uh, action all year, but the giant bucks, you know, you got to work for them, no matter where you hunt, especially in public. So, I mean, it's a matter of hunting down a property like that and just moving through. And I think where a lot of people make a mistake is they find real good sign coming out of something like that. They set up, nothing comes out and they go back there again the next weekend and the weekend after that and the weekend after that. And the sign kind of teases them, but if you're not killing that, that deer, there's a, there's a reason or there's a problem. Something's going on. Either the deer's coming from someplace else or it's not, not the animal they think it is, you know, maybe it's nighttime movement. Um, and once they've been in there a couple of times, that deer knows they've been hunted. 
So by just moving around and keeping it fresh, you're going to get on more. And um, just point, uh, just for a point, like uh, I broke down uh, the deer I've shot, you know, and, and grafted. And uh, uh, I see more and shoot more deer during the rut, which is what you'd think, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, the biggest bucks I've shot have, and the oldest ones have been around opening week and have been around the very end of the season. Um, but during the rut, you're usually shooting the, the middle class ones, the two and three year olds, those bigger ones. I mean, they don't move much different during rut than they do early season or late season. They still don't run around and run through those funnels like all those younger deer, you know, um, they make a mistake here and there, but, but they didn't get that big on, on Michigan's public land by running around through all the funnels during the run. I mean, how, how far down a ridge do you think a buck like that could run before he'd get shot in Michigan? I mean, there's tree stands everywhere, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So uh, they're not, they're moving real short distances out of that thick stuff. They're staying in areas where they really feel like they're safe. And the thing that makes them feel safe is they don't smell humans there. They don't run into humans. So what you really got to think about is, is what is everybody missing? What are they forgetting? You know, I'm keying in on spots that are adjacent to parking lots because everybody thinks you got to go away from the parking lot. I'm keying in on um, stuff where you got to cross something nasty or remote or, you know, places where people just don't go for whatever reason. I mean, there's no place nobody goes. But it's the places people don't go very often that uh, that you have that action. Those bucks key in on those spots. So if you think of it more of a game of like uh, cat and mouse, I mean, think about uh, people were hunting you. People are going to search for you on that property. Where would you hide? And then look for deer sign in those spots, and that's where you're going to find your bigger animals. And when you talk about sign going in and out of these places, um, what are you looking for other than those scrapes and rubs that are indicating that there's a, a big buck or a mature deer going in there? And, um, you, you know, I think, like I said, that's the trap that everybody falls into is that they see that rub or that scrape and they say, well, that's got to be it. And I've heard you say before that if there isn't a large density of bucks, you know, those big bucks don't make those rubs. They don't make those scrapes. Well, they still rub. They just don't rub as often and as much. So you might not have a rubbed up bed in area. So um, what you're describing there is probably the case where you're at. You don't have very many mature bucks. So a mature one doesn't have to defend his territory. There's nothing that'll go near him unless there's two of them. So where he calls home, his little hiding area might not have all those rubs but they still have tracks and there's still going to be rubs on the property. So I'm going to hunt down the property where I think the um, bedding areas are, but not necessarily based on the sign. And that's a hard one because even I want to see some sign, you know, because that confirms that you're in a good spot. But a lot of times it's uh, tracks or good trail coming out and you, you throw a stand at it because it looks like that's where something big should be living, whether there's sign coming out or not. And uh, my very biggest buck was, uh, you know, scored in the upper 180s. And uh, I watched that buck bed in the same spot for two years straight 
on a, on a west wind all the time. I've seen him there 20, 30 times. Every time I'd look for him, he'd be there on a west wind. But you couldn't get near him because it was an open area. I even picked up one of his sheds right out of the bed. And I ended up shooting that buck right in that bed. And after I killed him, another giant showed up in that same bed like two years later um, that I didn't get. Actually, I did, but not there. I got him a couple years later. But uh, that that bed, you could walk a 200-yard perimeter around it and not find one scrape or one rub. There was no sign that that deer was in there. It was hard ground. You had to know where the bed was. Um, but it was one of those overlooked spots where you think, well, that's where I'd kind of hide if I was hiding here, you know? And, and so how did you key in on that spot it, with the the lack of rubs or sign? Was that it tracks I, I, or I scat? found it scouting. I found it scouting. Okay. So I went in there in spring and found it. I kind of tracked it down, you know? Um, but that's not to say I don't do that in the fall too, is figure those areas out. The difference is I can't in, in the fall, I can't walk over there and look at the bed and say, yep, this is a bed and then go set up on it because now you, now you screwed the spot up. So in the fall, you got to take an educated guest and, and do a perimeter around it, try to find a trail coming out of it, set up and hunt it. Or if you have an area where you think you might be in this area, but you can kind of see the area, sit back one day and watch it instead of jumping in there, you, you know, and, you know, going for broke and then the deer comes out a little further over or something, but you screwed the area up. So sometimes I'll sit back if I can see a bunch of what I think might be bedding and just watch it for an evening and then move in for the kill. And so on that note, when you're going out of state or, uh, you know, you have a, a finite amount of time like let's say on these public land challenges or you know out of state hunt um how much time like do you spend scouting versus hunting or how do you break down like say a week you know you've you've made your phone calls you've you have an area that you want to check out but you've never been on the property how are you let's look at what i did in minnesota i mean that's a that's a good breakdown um, when we went to Minnesota for the public land challenge last year, we had one week. Um, we found out uh, about a week, maybe five days prior, exactly where we'd be. So um, I uh, pulled up maps of the uh, public properties over there. Um, I called some people I knew in the area. I said, what properties hold the better bucks? Um uh, then I mapped out the properties. Then when we got there, I didn't plan on hunting mornings. Mornings suck in early season anyways. Your evenings are your best time for kill. So we spent our morning scouting. So we got up uh, pre-dawn, drove to our spots to arrive there at, at uh, you know, a little after light and, and did some scouting, looking around, you know, um, looking for sign. And then when it got more into the day, we followed the transitions looking for sign. Um, hoping that we uh, would run into sign coming out of what looked like bedding, the hunt. We weren't finding much good sign because um, we, we tried, tried targeting um, swamps because our, our idea with that one was it was September, so we knew deer were going to be hitting the acorns, and we knew there was a heavy crop in that area. So we felt that hunting in the hills would be um, fruitless because 
in the hills where those bucks bed on the leeward side, so you're just going to get up and feed right where they're at. But down in the swamps, we felt there'd be isolated islands of oak trees and such. So we went straight to the swampy areas. And uh, that didn't work out too well because there was no oaks in any of the swamps we were looking at. Uh, and we started running into other guys from the, the group that had targeted the same stuff, looked at the same maps, and were targeting the exact same spots because everybody in that challenge is right the same school that I that I'm in, you know. <laughs> they read your book. So we were actually uh hitting the same spots as other people. But luckily, I mean everybody was pretty open and, and we're really you know, it's not really a contest, it's a challenge of yourself. So we were pretty open about where we were hunting and stuff amongst each other and what we're seeing. So when we started hearing certain people were hunting certain spots, we just backed out and looked for something else. And I, I always have the mindset of other people are looking at it. It's probably not as good as I perceived. You know, I want stuff that everybody's overlooking. But I, I could not get on good sign. All the sign I was seeing was old. It was telling me that the bucks had moved into the hills for the acorns. And you go into the hills, and the bucks are betting on the hillside, getting up, feeding. They're not moving. So then uh, we had to shift game plans midweek. Okay, what do we got to do different here? And I felt that, uh, and Joe felt, that we needed to find a swamp or a marsh that had uh, isolated oaks, which is what we intended to do when we got there. So I started uh, searching some maps and stuff, trying to find something in Minnesota with, with a marsh with cattails and, or red bush and oaks. Uh, and then I called some friends and stuff, and a, a friend told me about a big marsh in the center of the state, and he said it's got a lot of, a lot of isolated Oak Island. So um, we got a hold of some maps of that, and it was a little hard at first because we got over there and there's a whole bunch of stuff. Half the marsh was closed. It was like refuges and stuff that we didn't expect. So we had mapped out stuff to hunt. Then when we got there, we couldn't hunt. And then there were signs that were confusing about whether or not you could hunt certain areas. So we had to go to DNR and find out what we could and couldn't hunt. And then we finally found an area and started hunting it down, and then we got into that big sign. So once we hit big sign on the edge of this, this swamp, we knew we were in the right area. There's something big in there. So then we were like, it was a big area, but we were figuring they have to be, they're not bedding in water, and most of it was underwater, you know, in, in cattails and water. So we're figuring we're off of the island. So we went from island to island to island to point to point. Uh, along the mainland, and we just hunted that area down until we were pretty sure that buck would be at one particular island that was further back out based on the sign. And then it was a flip of the coin. It was Joe's hunt, and he went out there and he got that buck. And it took us about uh, five days, and it was a mature buck. It was uh, maybe four days or something like that, but uh, it was a pretty good hunt. Now, my strategy would be pretty much the same going into uh, Michigan, I'm going to be looking for swamps. Uh, I'm not going to be so much looking for the oaks because they're probably going to be eaten up pretty much by that time. Um, but I'm going to probably look for swamps that are isolated, that are, uh, you, you know, um, maybe if I see crop fields along the uh, road on the private side, I might look at some little brushy areas I don't think anybody would hunt, but might hold a big buck and look for tracks crossing the road, you know, going into those crops, telling me that uh, there's something in those in that little, little patch of swamp that's public or whatever. But I'm going to go around the swamps, and first I'm going to do drive-bys. we got stuff we're going to map out. We're going to decide on about probably eight or ten properties. We're going to go to the ones we believe are, are the best first. 
We're going to uh, drive around them, look at them, look at the sign, look at the hunter sign, look at, try to envision what they're missing. You know, how could a big buck uh, live there with all this pressure? If we see a way that one could get away in there, um, we're going to probably target that spot and give it a shot. Um, try to find that sign and just keep moving from property to property to property until we find a big buck to hunt and then we'll hunt that buck down. And that's, that's how we'll handle the challenge. And so on that hunting that buck down side of it, um, and kind of back to the, the woodsmanship thing, you know, there's so much marketing and all sorts of things that go into, you know, guys want to buy the latest and greatest. They want to have all this gear. They want to have every single doodad and thing that they think is going to give them the best edge or whatever TV tells them that this is what's going to be the next greatest thing. Um, what are you taking in for equipment as far other than, you know, stand and sticks, bow, what else are you bringing in? when you go in there and then when you're scouting, when you scout, are you bringing in your stand? So if you find something, you're going to set up right there or is that depend on the time of year or things like that? More the time of day. I mean, if I'm scouting midday, I might leave the stand uh, behind because I can cover more ground. Okay. But if I hit something and I know I'm hunting it, I'm not going any further. Okay. Cause I don't want to wreck the next spot. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm going to go back, get my stand, set it up, and then hunt. So if I know I'm hunting something, I'm just stopping. If I'm not sure, like, uh, you know, this is huntable, but I'd like to go further, I might scout around, and if I find something better, hunted. And if I don't, go back. But uh, if I find something I know I'm hunting, then I don't go any further. Okay. But your, your equipment that you bring in, you know, some of these guys bring enough that they could do a two day overnight with them. Um, yeah. I mean, most guys got a backpack and they got more stuff in it than I take on a, on a week long trip with my kids camping. Right. So, so I take uh, a bowl, uh, my arrows, a knife. Um, I usually got a, a little saw in my uh, pocket and I got a little flashlight. Um, uh, a little rope, pull my bow up, a uh, pot of milkweed, and that's about it. And so, uh, you know, John and I are just kind of looking at ourselves because it seems like, you know, you try and get rid of all this stuff that you, that you don't need or whatever. Um, but I, I mean, I truly do believe that that kind of goes back to that woodsmanship thing. So people are always like, well, what if I get lost? What if I do this? What if I do, you know? What if, what if, what if, what if? So I guess back to the whole, like I say, like woodsmanship thing, how do you address the navigation? You know, what happens if you shoot something? What happens if, you know, you, you only have I one flashlight? I, I usually come out, get uh, my partner or something, go back in and uh, retrieve it. Um, I'm not, I'm never afraid of getting lost down here. I mean, uh, sometimes when I've hunted up, uh, way up in the northern wilderness is uh then you worry about a little bit you're a little more careful but down here i mean you can't really get lost i mean you, you can get uh you know off track a little bit where you get a little wet and swear swear a little bit but uh <laughs> you don't really get lost um 
I'm, I'm more at home and feel safer in that woods than I do uh, on the city streets driving a vehicle, you know, or walking into a store. Um, I'm at home in the woods, and I, I, I think not everybody is at that point, but I am. I mean, I feel like uh, that's my living room. You know, mm-hmm. and and you, you kind of got to get that way. I mean, where you like being out there, and I think part of that is is because I move around so much. I mean, most guys sit on the same property all the time. I'm constantly navigating and looking at scouting new properties. I'm constantly going into new public grounds. I'm constantly trying to find stuff. I'm try, constantly mapping stuff out. So for me, navigating through uh, public property just comes naturally. And literally, you get to be a better hunter the more of that property you look at because you really start to put two and two together you see the same thing over and over again and start to see trends and you start to understand, Oh, this is what they're doing after you, you know, after you see it five or 10 times and it kicks you in the head, you know? So, um, you get better at doing it as time goes along. And that's the frustrating part of what, what I do is I think the, just a learning curve. And you, you know, a guy sitting over a bait pile, like you're saying, um, he has deer come in here and there and eventually he gets a deer. But, you know, he literally struggles more than, more than he probably even realizes, that, you know, how many times those deer circle downwind or they come in and they bust them and they figure them out or they come in on, on pins and needles because they know it's a trap. Where when you start hunting the way I hunt, you're going to start seeing a lot less deer because you got to start figuring things out. you got to start learning. But if you can struggle through that year or two where it's hard, and work your way through that. All of a sudden, it'll get better, and nothing's better than over that bait pile. You'll see more bucks. You'll see bigger bucks, and uh, it'll start becoming more fun. And you'll start learning more about the wilderness. You'll start seeing more, more animals um, because so much stuff is shying away from you when you keep going to the same spots like that. For that, and you, the deer one. I mean, coming in when you go in and scout out a spot, set up a tree, you know, and the deer come in on their natural pattern. It's, there's nothing like it. I mean, when you're sitting on a bait pile and they come in, like you said, pins and needles, it, it's not even comparable. I mean, you know, you, you get the deer walking through and they have no clue you're sitting there. I mean, I've had that happen so many times and it's just like, yeah. you know, that's such a good feeling. You know, like that deer has so no I, idea. I just, I just put up a video um, today. Uh, you probably haven't seen it because it, it re- literally went up an hour ago, but it's of a Buck Mario shot. And I, I it was just a glimpse of the tree he was in, but he was in a tree that's no bigger around than my leg out in the middle of a cattail swamp up five sticks where he stick out like a sore thumb and he had bucks around him the whole day and not one song. And when people see a set up like that, they're like, what are you not every deer in the world's going to see it. You know why they don't? Because nobody's ever sat there before. Right. There's never been a corn pile there. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're not looking for you. Yeah. So we get away with a lot more too. You catch them completely off guard by going to the spots where they do not expect people. Right. Every time I hunt, I'm in a different tree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, our listeners have, have heard this because like last year I had the best season that I've ever had and I got wet. I mean, my, <laughs> I went over my hip boots. I was pouring water out every single time I was cursing and I was falling down Everything was like awful. I hunted less. I hunted less days, but I hunted with a purpose. It's the first time I've ever killed two bucks in one year, and they were both trees that I'd never even seen before, let alone 
you know. But the one I I walked into a spot and said, "This is look, you could kill a deer there." I walked through it in a rainstorm, and went back two days later and and shot a two and a half year old up buck there, and I missed a bigger one in the morning, a hundred yards away. I actually think I kicked that buck up walking in uh, when I missed the bigger one, and then I went out into this marsh and gray light got set up at nine o'clock in the morning and shot the biggest buck I've ever killed in Michigan at Mm -hmm. 14, 14 yards, just walking in to check out what's going on. That was rut. And like I said, I think that was kind of luck, but I mean, sit for sit. I only sat maybe 15 times all season last year where every, other year it was like I had to be I felt like I had to be out in the woods just because I liked to bow hunt rather than hunting the right time the right spot you know hunting with a purpose and uh, Mm -hmm. it's just completely a completely different mindset and so going into this season hunting with a purpose is is really a, a key point yeah I mean it was not I didn't sit the same tree. I didn't sit the same area. I was bouncing around here and there and everywhere. And you, you know, you talk about like really getting to know a property and, and, and Jason, you know, I talked back and forth with Jason Campbell and he said, you know, you need to pick an area and you need to learn it like the back of your hand where you can just go in there in the dark. It doesn't matter. You could be dropped off anywhere and just know where you're at. And I found a spot where I'm starting to break down the spot and I've been going in there all summer long and you know i hunted in there last year and i found it two years ago and i came in from a different access way and i walked up to the spot and i'm like i've been here before i knew where i was at and then it was exactly like you said it was like kind of like the aha moment where it was like okay this is why the deer are doing this this is why um and it's just it's a completely different like mindset and one of the things that i really appreciate that I've heard you say, or, or, or some of your posts kind of, um, have addressed is not that you want people to, you know, strive to kill big bucks or, or whatever you want them to be big. Uh, you, you want them to be better hunters and to mm-hmm. stepwise kind of move up through their progression. So for our listeners that are like, you know, we've got listeners that have only hunted, you know, two or three times or, you know, that are, you know, just getting into it. They're never killed a buck, never killed a deer with their bow. And they're, they're really stepping out there. Um, so what advice would you have for like that guy who sees social media that says, okay, well you have to shoot a 140 inch buck to post it. You have to. Yeah. Just, just enjoy the ride. You, you know, have fun. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Cause I'll tell, I'll tell you what, um, for all the huge bucks I've shot in my life, the most memorable, the, the most exciting, the, the, uh, the ones that bring a smile to my face are the ones from my childhood that were small, a little button buck or a six pointer or whatever. When I was just out chasing around with a bow, flinging arrows, that was, the, that was the funnest time of my life. You know, um, just go out and, and have fun, you know, um, a big part of it is, is that you feel that pressure like you have to kill one um, to be somebody. You, you know, like uh, you're telling everybody you're a hunter, but you don't have really anything down or nothing big or whatever. None of that matters, really. 
and, and you think it matters, and you think it matters to all your friends and your family and stuff, and that don't. Everybody that loves you loves you anyways. And everybody that hates you hates you anyways. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you do, nothing, none of that will change. And, and if, you know, if you shoot a big buck, two years later, nobody will even remember it. I mean, I don't, you know, I got friends. I don't know what the hell they shot last year. I don't care. You know what I mean? They're still my friends. I don't, I don't care what they do. Nobody really cares. It's a personal thing. And I think that's what those new people have to get, get over is it really doesn't matter. If, if a buck comes in, and they don't feel comfortable. You don't have to shoot it. Right. If you want to shoot it, shoot it. If you don't, don't. And it doesn't matter how big it is. You can show it off if you want. You don't have to. You don't have to post it. You don't have to say anything about it, but you can if you want. Um, I'd be the first one to jump on somebody for getting on somebody about the size of their buck. I mean, that, that's a personal thing, and, and who cares? Right. It's a you know, go out and have fun. That's what it's about. And you gotta you got to imagine a guy like me didn't get to where I, I'm at by not starting out shooting small deer, you know, building my way up. A lot of these young guys think they got to start out with trophy bucks. And I tell you what, the time to learn how to shoot a big buck is not when you're staring at one out of a tree. Right. You, you need to build your way up to that because it's a whole different game when you get to that level. And, you, you know, just go out and have fun. And, and the biggest thing, too, is, is that uh, if you really strive for that success, the more you scout, the better you're going to do. You know, I got like a three times uh, philosophy, scout, 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 hunt. So I'm scouting three times more than I'm hunting, even during the season. I'm always out searching. And if you do that, you'll have good results. Because even a blind squirrel will stumble into some good stuff. And your scouting's when you're learning. It's not when you're sitting in a tree. You're not learning anything sitting in a tree waiting for a deer. You're learning when you're walking around looking at the sign, looking at where they're coming from, deciphering, and, and making it more into a game. You know, and, and uh, the whole bait thing and, you know, the blind calling and all that crap, it's, it's just, um, you know, all that is, is entertaining you. You know, go out and hunt those deer. That's what's going to be fun, and that's what's going to be the adventure. And that's what you're going to remember is the time that you outsmarted that buck. And when you find a big buck and you start hunting it, it starts to get fun. You know, you know he's in there somewhere. And then you start making that chess game to hunt him around and, and uh, that's what your uh, listeners that want to do that should strive for. Yeah. One, I mean, I think that's the whole reason we started this thing is because it's more, and there's so much more that goes into it, but it's so much fun, more fun to share the hunt, to share the harvest, to share the experience with somebody. You know, if you, you, you could have a million bucks on your wall and have nobody to share them with because that's all what consumes you or that's, that's everything. It just matters the size. And I think so many people get wrapped up into that. And for us, you know, one of the things that we've said for the whole time we've been doing this is that every harvest with the bow and arrow is a trophy. And, you know, you, you, you've really accomplished something. We try to, you know, instill that and, you know, it, that's the way that we live. My, my father-in-law, you know, he's, he's probably a little bit older than you are and, you know, started hunting for food when he was a kid, you know, hunting everything. I mean, 
shooting rats in the kitchen with a 45. I mean, you know, they weren't eating the rats, but you know, that's, that's the, the way that, that he grew up and he's killed a multitude of small bucks and every single one of them might as well be a 150 because he's just elated every single time. And, you know, when I was coming up, you know, I never killed a deer uh, with a bow until I met my father-in-law and started hunting with him and they didn't shoot does at that time they only shot bucks and i passed on a lot of does and finally he just told me you know maybe you need to get a few under your belt and it kind of goes to what you're saying of you know the time to to kill a big buck or to learn how to shoot big bucks is not when you're staring at one and um, it's just all about the ride you know having somebody to share the experience with and and to have fun doing it. Um, And on that note, like, you know, you, you talked about, uh, you know, you posted a video of uh, yourself and Joe's strategy for um, hunting Michigan and how it's not really a contest. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, outside of yourself and Joe, we met everybody that was at the, the challenge public up. land challenge last year and they're just a great group of guys um not saying that you're not you're just you haven't met you um <laughs> <laughs> but um you know and and the tethered guys are are great guys as well and i don't think anybody's expecting it to be a contest i think for us guys in michigan we're really excited to see you know you guys come in here and really put on a show, you know, kind of break it down your style, um, for, for, for everybody. Um, and I think that camaraderie is kind of what drew everybody to the public land challenge last year and why it was such a success. It wasn't a contest of who's going to do what, who's going to shoot the biggest buck. Right. (laughs) And so what are your expectations coming in? Because I, I mean, personally i and i I think i speak for uh, i mean i've 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 spoken with a lot of different guys that are following along pretty closely with this from all of the the camps and i think that you guys are going to kill more than one buck this year and probably some pretty substantial deer um but those deer are going to be substantial deer for michigan i think the expectation of michigan deer is you know I, i think i saw in one of your videos your son killed the wounded seven point or six point and you said you guys call it a michigan booner so i think uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but what's your yeah, I, I hear so much mixed stuff from michigan i don't really know what to expect you know um i'll tell you um it gets it gets pretty overwhelming that we're even doing this because it is getting so popular and so big that you would not believe the messages i'm getting I'm getting right now, ever since I put that video up about uh, uh, me and Joe's plan, I've been getting about 150 messages a day about uh, going to Michigan. I think people are really excited about us going there. Oh, for sure. Um, but, I mean, they go in. It is so weird because I got people telling me there's a booner behind every bush and not to listen to what you've heard. And I've got people telling me that you're going to get attacked if you park in a park public parking lot with uh, out-of-state plates. 
Um, people are getting shot on all the public woods. <laughs> that uh, one one guy told me that the only way you could shoot a buck a hundred inches or bigger anywhere in Michigan was if you did it opening day. Um, after that, all the bucks are pushed out of there because there's a guy every fifty feet. <laughs> now, I, it's every extreme in between. You, you know what I'm right. saying? And I know somewhere in the middle is the truth. For sure. I don't think it's a lot different than where I'm at over here. I do think you don't have as big a bucks as I got here, but a look at the record books shows that Michigan is, is uh, the tenth best state for uh, Boone and Crockett's. So there's got to be some good genetics there and some good bucks. Yeah, there's definitely um, some big bucks. It's just so you, you, you know, pressure or not, they're there. Right. So my job is to come in there and find them and and, and kill them and prove pretty much to myself that I can do it. Um, it's not going to be easy. And I, and I get that and Joe gets that. And, you know, I think the rest of the guys get that too. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, we'll go in there and, and, uh, you know, we'll all work together like we did in Minnesota and share notes and stuff and, and run around. And I mean, when I hunt out of state, especially in the challenge, I'm hunting 24 seven. I mean, we'll be getting three, four hours sleep. We'll be scouting maps at night. We'll be running around crazy, uh, hunting all day and scouting all day. And, uh, I love it. That's what I live for. You know, when you're back home, you got your honeydew list and you got your job and all that crap. And you still got to find time to, uh, to hunt, you know, but, uh, on the challenge, that's the only thing I got on my mind. And, and, uh, I'll put in the full effort and, uh, we'll see what happens. I don't, I don't really have any expectations as of yet. I guess I'm going to go into it and see what I run into. And uh, go from there. I mean, um, I believe I can get two tags if I buy them in advance. And, uh, you know, maybe a good 100-incher or 120-incher um, would tickle my fancy. Maybe not. It depends on what I see for sign. If I get, if I start scouting those properties and I'm seeing decent sign and I know something big is around, I'm going to hold out for something big. You know, and that's kind of the same way I do it back home or any place I go. I'm hunting what's available. You know, uh, I get a kick out of these guys that uh, tell me I only shoot 140 inches or up, or I only hunt 150 inches or bigger. Okay, what are you doing a year that there's nothing that big? You just don't hunt, right? <laughs> you know, so yeah, you know, I'm going to set my goals based on what I see and uh, and what I think I can do, and go from there. It should be fun to watch. It should be fun fun to watch us break down properties and. You know, I'm going to try and be better about talking about what we're doing and where we're going and how we're doing things, you know, and, and hopefully that helps people. When you say you're um, using maps and stuff, do you use Onyx? Uh, this will be the first year I'm using Onyx because uh, I never had a cell phone before. <laughs> yeah, I, was I had a little flip phone for contacting people. Um, now I got a cell phone. I put Onyx on it, and I think the main uh, objective of getting this thing was Onyx. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I got it on here, but I don't see too well either. It's hard for me to see the, uh, the screen on it. I'm sort of used to the paper maps and stuff, and I'm not used to the technology. I really am pretty old school. But um, uh, it looks like a pretty good system. So uh, we will be using it. Um, we used Joe's Onyx uh, last year, and I really liked it. Yeah, I just put up a post, I think probably the last post that I put up on our website and all of that is uh, 
me teaching my father-in-law and his hunting partner how to use onyx and we're <laughs> sitting at the thing and they got their readers on and it's like it was like a episode of grumpier old men but what does this button do and how do i do this and which one and so it, <laughs> it was it was uh, a lot like that but um yeah i mean we're uh, i think everybody's excited to see you guys come to michigan we've talked with uh zach from the hunting public at length both on air and off the air about coming to michigan and he you know he said you know we're going to come there eventually everybody says that it's so hard and everything like that and i can tell you you know last year like i said getting lucky whatever i mean i shot a hundred inch buck november 9th in so in one of the most in one pressured, of the most pressured areas i, I won't even hunt there anymore <laughs> <laughs> because of i mean there's a there's a tree stand literally every 100 yards and um pulling to the parking lot and there's eight vehicles and and a campfire. We we passed it. We we drug that deer out. These guys took off on mountain bikes, and there was a campfire in the parking lot with a big tent set up. When we drug that deer out of there, <laughs> so, and and they never saw us. And then you know the buck that I had seen the day before got harvested right around Thanksgiving on a bow only property that was 140, 150 class, and I saw him two years ago. That was, that was what got me hooked on bed hunting because I did everything that I had learned, and you know it was kind of like the the quintessential hunting beast forum story. Is I saw this buck, I went in, I went in to set up, and that was before it was. I went to stand and sticks, climber on my back, and got there, and there was no tree to put a climber in. Stepped. 20, 20 feet too far into the wind and he stood up 60 yards from me and he was 100, 130 class buck at that time and the picture of this buck I mean they said he went 160s but I mean it's it's a big buck and uh, on another super pressured and we're not in any of the trophy counties by no. any means you know lower Michigan do you know where you're hunting in Michigan? No, I do not. Uh, we got our uh, the area got changed because uh, the location slipped out. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that. Um, for I can't imagine the amount of messages that you get because on the every single day I'm messaging somebody about like, do you know where the you know it's people are asking <laughs> us as as far as like what what's going on. So um, uh, you, you know, I th- I would like to see them. Uh, rent a private farm to camp on or something. Not that we'd hunt there, but to camp there. Because I think somebody's going to find us anyways. You well, know. And as soon as they do... And, and somebody's going to say something on a forum someplace or some crap, and we're going to get overwhelmed with people. <laughs> you know, uh, Even in Minnesota, I was getting... My, my phone was buzzing constantly with uh, my little flip phone. <laughs> with with uh, messages, hey, can I... Can, can we join you? Can I come bring you some chili? Can I come hang out? Um, since you're in the area, you guys want to stop by and eat with my family? And it's like, <laughs> you know what? I'm hunting. <laughs> but everybody wanted to come and meet and hang out and all that crap, and we just don't have time for that. Right. I mean, none of us do. I mean, uh, uh, even the hunting public crew, the guys that aren't hunting or editing or running around doing things, and uh, I hope nobody finds our location, But uh, or, or if they do, they keep it quiet. <laughs> But uh, I would imagine it's probably going to get out. Right. Well, Dan, we've had you on here almost an hour. I don't want to 
keep you too much longer. Um, one of the questions that we always ask, and uh, you know, John's kind of a, a nerd about it, but um, what is your bow setup before <laughs> you're shooting? I'm shooting a Forge, uh, uh, Forge Surgeon. Um, actually, they upgraded it and called it the uh, Forge Serial Killer. <laughs> they named it after me, and he was going to make one, but he he, uh, he went out of business now. So the the, the company's out of business. The, the bow company it's for sale if anybody wants to buy it. But company? anywho, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he's a friend of mine, so I, I like shooting his bow. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll switch up in the future here, but for right now, I'm still using it. I, I like it. Um, uh, 65 pounds. Uh, it's long axle to axle and I need that cause I got a really long draw length. My knuckles drag. Um, I use almost a full length arrow. Um, I got multi broadheads for, at the moment, but, uh, I got a bunch of those, uh, six broadheads coming in. Okay. I'm going to try them out and if they fly right, I might hunt with them this year. Um, but I haven't tried them yet. I like the muzzies, but I'm getting sick of the muzzies, uh, quality. Um, they're starting to make them out of China or something. And, uh, sometimes there's no flutes cutting them. Sometimes you're a little bent and, you know, I, I don't like having to throw one or two of them out when I get a pack. So, but I like, I like what muzzies do. They, you know, when you got them right, they fly right. So that's where I'm at. And that bow is circa 19, what year? What, when, did, when, when did he make uh, that bow? He built that, he built that for me two years ago. Okay. So it's not a an old. I guess I I just you know. You for imagine a, me in some old antique, right? Well, I mean, I've <laughs> seen some of the videos, and they all you know the videos are here and there. So I, I, it's very interesting because so many people put so much money into, and us included. You know, we're not uh, immune to it, but right. it all ends up being gear, 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 and um, yep. Forge made a pretty clean bow, and uh, their top end bows were like. Uh, six or 700 bucks. He never, he never charged all that money. And he always said that that's cause he didn't, uh, he never, you know, paid off sponsors or gave away a whole bunch of free bowls or anything like that. Like all the other companies. So he was able to keep his overhead low, but uh, it seemed like he kept the bowls pretty plain to looking and, and stuff. But they shot right. They're fast enough for me and they kill what I shoot at. So <laughs> I killed the uh, giant bears with them and I killed a lot of bucks with them. So, I'm happy. That's another thing we might have to have you on for is a bear hunt. Cause yeah, so we, we had planned on um, drawing bear tags this year, and just for whatever reason, we didn't we didn't get drawn. My my family's got uh, 240 acres up in Menominee County, uh, Michigan, mm. and, um, you know, bear tags on private land aren't super hard to come by, and we just didn't get drawn. Um, but we had... Uh, one of our buddies on here from Death by Archery, Adam Ingweiler, and he said he shared a bear camp with you, and we've seen you know a lot of your bear hunting stuff. So we might be hitting you back mm-hmm. up here in the future for some some information about bear hunting because I know that may be one of your other vices. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a real passion of mine. So, but yeah, like I say, we we appreciate your time here, and uh, you know we're we're going to be following along just with like everybody else in the country, but especially Michigan for the, for the public land challenge. Um, you know, is there anything that you want to promote or say to the listeners or anything like that? 
Uh, no, not not really. Um, I think we're good. <laughs> awesome. We appreciate it, Dan, and thanks for being on with us tonight. Thanks for having me.